welcome to the Transforming Society podcast. In this episode, we're talking to Sam Wren Lewis about his new book, The Happiness Problem, Expecting Better in an Uncertain World. Sam's an independent scholar with a PhD from the University of Leeds on the philosophy of happiness, and he's the author of a number of published papers on the study of happiness and well-being. In the book, Sam looks at happiness and really says that happiness is nice, but it's not the only thing we need and it won't solve all the world's problems. Hi, Sam. Hello. So the key, the book's called The Happiness Problem. So I think the first question is, how are we getting happiness wrong? What's the problem? Great. So, yeah, my main point is that there is a right and a wrong way to think about happiness. And the predominant way in which we're thinking about happiness in modern societies uh, is wrong. And that way is to typically see happiness as an issue of control. So as long as we get everything in our lives just right, as if we have the perfect job, relationship, family, body, mind, and so on, uh, then we'd be happy. And... There's some truth to this. We, of course, have got control over our lives. We can improve our lives in countless ways, and we should. Uh, But it is overly simplistic and ignores the idea that we are still, even at this stage of uh, human development, uh, incredibly insecure. Uh, So in every aspect of our lives, we are vulnerable to disappointment, failure, mistakes, uh, loss, uh, pain, unhappiness, and so on. And that's not going to go away anytime soon. So this list of things we think we have in our head that will make us happy, if only we had X, Y, or Z, Mm. we'd be okay, uh, is simply not true. Um, So that's... Because there's a bigger picture that we're not seeing because we're so focused down on this list I guess exactly we narrow our attention to okay if I get the promotion then I'd be happy if I have this loving relationship then my life would be okay and unfortunately life continues even if we do achieve those things and uh, bad stuff will still happen to us we'll we'll still die we'll still get sick yeah Uh, uh, we may get heartbroken and so on So we really need to hold both. We can improve our lives, but we shouldn't have this happily ever after uh, idea in the background that the next bit of success will uh, sort things out completely. Okay. Um, With these tick lists that are in our head, um, how are they shaped by our culture and how are they dictating how we see reality? I think in the book that you say that happiness is political. Yeah, that's right. So I think there's a few things to say about that. So firstly, in our culture, we um, maintain a lot of the time that the things we have in our head are extremely specific and individual to us. But actually, uh, our values and our view of the world is very influenced by uh, the people around us and the culture at large. Um, And I think... Happiness is a kind of meta value of our culture in this respect. So um, it's quite a new thing for cultures to value happiness and for individuals to value happiness. For for the majority of human civilization, happiness was not seen as an achievable goal. Um, In fact, these 
list of things in our heads uh, wouldn't necessarily exist to the same extent that So how has that culturally uh, come about then? Mostly because we now can achieve things. So uh, really from the Enlightenment onwards, uh, we had a huge change in the amount of uh, resources and opportunities that individuals had. Um, The American Declaration of Independence, you know, was the first real kind of political move to say we're going to support life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Really, happiness wasn't mentioned on that scale before. And from the kind of 60s onwards, this has just boomed, 1960s onwards, where we now almost demand to be happy. We expect to be happy from our relationships, from our work. Um, We expect to have a happy and content uh, mental state Mm. and uh, all sorts of things like that. Um, The possibilities are endless for how we can actually improve our lives now. And that's that's a great thing. Um, But like I said, uh, in answer to the previous question, it becomes problematic when we think that we can just fix all our problems, that there are no limits anymore and that we're entirely in control of our lives. That's not true. Is it linked to capitalism at all? Like, so cap- capitalism is kind of about this idea that we should always do more, we should always want more, we should always makes us think that we need more. And those to-do tick lists are that, really, aren't they? I think and capitalism absolutely. is ultimately unfulfilling as well. Right, I think it's absolutely linked. And, and you can view that as a positive or a negative thing. So you could um, view that always striving for better as an ultimately unfulfilling proposition that we will never achieve this ideal of happiness. Uh, or you could actually view it as a, as a positive thing that, okay, happiness isn't the thing around the corner, but we'll still find ways of making our lives better and, and um, we can always do that. And maybe that's partly what life's about. And the, the problem... I believe is when we think that we can get to a stage where there are no limits anymore, where we where we will have sorted out all the problems. Where we can stop exactly. and just sit that's and never be happy. Happen. No. Yeah. And that's <laughs> okay. in the rhetoric, that's in the promise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it's ultimately unachievable, isn't it? Um, in the book, you use the phrase going to war with reality a lot, and that's kind of what we're talking about here. I wondered if you could elaborate on that as a concept. I think it's it's nice that you mentioned capitalism because that's one way of, of looking at it. I think mm. capitalism is about going to war with reality. It's it's about um, having the uh, resources and technological innovations to change uh, reality to our liking um, in whatever way we see fit. Um, and I use that phrase, going to war with reality, a lot because uh, it seems like the most obvious and natural thing to do when our lives are problematic, when we have difficulties, when we have severe demands and pressures on our time, we want to change things. We don't just want to sit there and um, accept the state of affairs. Um, But the problem with it, and I'm sure that's what we'll go into next, is that um, not only will reality win in the end, Um, We might win a few battles (laughs) along the way, um, but ultimately things are much more complex. um, And, uh, yeah, we uh, won't be able to win all uh, our battles against reality. Uh, We will, as I say, we're all going to die eventually, for example. Um, But also, yeah. We will go on to that because that 
ties into climate change, doesn't it? And it's almost like the relationship between capitalism and climate change. The climate change is the reality that just is the fact and we can't change. And capitalism is, yeah, I, yeah. I that's right. <laughs> and, but no, it's, that's absolutely right. And I think um, the, the other reason I use that phrase of going to war with reality is to think about what the alternative might be. Mm. Um, so the alternative to, to going to war is to be in, at peace. And, and at first that can seem quite passive. But the reason I like that phrase of uh, trying to be more at peace with reality is, is actually, in reality, um, pe- making peace is a very active process. So it requires exploring multiple opportunities to make things better, um, even if uh, we can't you know, win all our battles straight away. And it's maybe only once we've exhausted all those possibilities that we should uh, go head-to-head directly in conflict with our situation. It's a really interesting metaphor. And I think in reading the book, I did actually find it quite hard to get my head around because it does seem very passive in a way. And we're so kind of engineered to think that to achieve social change, it has to be a fight and a war and combat and the idea of thinking about that in that different way is I think it's a hurdle but it's definitely interesting um I suppose we'll talk about social change um a bit later on but I just wanted to ask you um it's kind of all very well saying um almost we need to count our blessings and be thankful and see what we've got and be happy with what we've got and accept the insecurities and the vulnerabilities that we have But in very stressful situations, like, I don't know, financial and emotional stress, how can we apply this more productive way of thinking when we're under those kind of stresses and life does feel like a fight? Yeah, great question. Uh, So I think um, it can seem passive because we are so used to dealing with our problems head on trying to fix them as quickly as possible um we're so used to kind of being certain as to what's wrong in our lives and and urgently trying to fix it and stress or or other kind of demands I think is actually a really good example of how that go into war with our circumstances uh, can actually be harmful so um it's sort of well known in psychology now that they're kind of two different kinds of stress what's sometimes called good and bad stress okay it's a bit more complicated than that um but the the key kind of distinction between the two are that uh one kind of stress that we experience uh we feel nonetheless that we have the resources to cope with so the the stress that is in more of a challenge that we have the ability to overcome uh, whereas right. the other kind of stress uh, we maybe don't feel we have the resources to cope with it's in not like a challenge but instead as a threat um, and that's the the kind of stress that has much more of a lasting damage on our physiological system and our mental health and so on so being so certain that when we're experiencing stress that we've got to that it, this is bad and we've got to do something about it and we know we can do this and we put all our efforts into doing so that so that it's fixable so somehow. it's fixable um to to kind of be uh so they're kind of um positive and negatives to kind of this sort of sense of control here we 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 want to still be open uh mm. to 
maybe not seeing that stress as such a negative thing not not seeing um this unhappiness that we're experiencing as as bad and it was so much better when we didn't have the stress and that life was going okay but actually to to remain open to the fact that well maybe this stress uh can be dealt with in ways that i haven't thought about yet and to what you were saying is potentially passive to potentially kind of try and understand what's going on more to be a bit more curious about your situation to explore different possibilities for how we might make it better admittedly that can that can seem passive at first but ultimately it's about gaining a better understanding and better knowledge of what we can do to improve things in the long run rather than just trying to react and fix things in the short term so it is that difference rather than going this is a terrible situation i shouldn't be in this situation what must I do to get out of it now and quickly? It's just more, it's relaxing a bit, isn't it? And just accepting it. Yeah. Right. There is, there is. It kind of goes against everything that we are nowadays as human beings. Well, that's a, a, a good point. You said everything we are nowadays. So I think there's, there's, a, there's a part nature, part nurture thing going on here. We, we want to, on a very base level, uh, physiological level get rid of the negative things in our life as quickly as we can Mm. and so this is hard you know it's hard saying okay I'm gonna not try and be in control I'm gonna embrace uncertainty and 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 be a bit more uh curious and explorative of what's going on but there's also this cultural element which is um we are told that we shouldn't experience bad stuff for too long that happiness is always available as long as we put in more effort or do the right thing and so I think there's there's both of those elements in play. I wanted to talk a little bit about social inequality um it goes back to the last question in many ways um if people are in poverty and really struggling it is difficult to apply this kind of theory Um, And you talk a bit in the book about how poverty affects people's expectations of the future, so they are less likely to invest in it. What if we don't have enough to count our blessings? Absolutely. Um, I I, I definitely don't think um, people should just count their blessings. I definitely think people should try and improve their lives. I think um, the, the main point I'm trying to make is that the the way in which we are trying to improve our lives and search for happiness is problematic because we do it in such a narrow way. So life is complicated um, and the idea that material wealth or career success or or, or whatever um, will uh, sort out all our problems is just not going to help us. Uh, And obviously people in poverty have way more problems uh, mm-hmm. and um, often maybe do need to narrow down just to, okay, and we need to improve our situation quite dramatically mm. uh, in order to uh, improve their lives. So there is a time for control. There is a time for certainty and for urgency. Yeah. Um, I think that if we're just exclusively focused in that respect, it's, it ultimately isn't helpful in the long run. What you do in the book is kind of the first half or so is about talking about the happiness problem and then you go on to apply that to social progress and social change. Um, 
I'm interested in how you got to that point in your in your research and in your life and things you've done in your life and and obviously also how we do that. Yeah. Um so I guess from a from a theoretical perspective first uh the the realization for me so I I've been studying for happiness for the past sort of 12 years and uh I was at the beginning very focused on on individuals I was I was really uh my belief was that I could figure out how to make people happy and then share that information and that the whole world would be better off yeah. uh which is a nice, <laughs> a nice idea uh, slightly <laughs> egotistical as well um and uh it's only when I kind of discovered more and more that um, happiness really uh, was an illustration of uh, this idea that we can control everything in our lives and that that wasn't true uh, and that that causes major problems because we focus so much on the things we think will make us happy yeah. rather than the other things in life that matter um, that I realized the exact same phenomenon uh, happens on a social scale. So uh, it's, happiness is really, I think, the most interesting thing about it is it is illustrative of a much wider problem. Yeah. This, this wider attitude of wanting to control everything, wanting to find easy solutions and, and quick fixes. And that's exactly what we find on a social level um, to many of our major social issues, whether that's crime, health, mm. uh, poverty, climate change. I talk about all these things in the book mm. to kind of show that our leading uh, strategy for solving these solutions on a political level is to find simple narratives to understand them and uh, temporary solutions that may actually make things worse in the long term. And that's exactly what we do in our individual lives. We're so uh, desperate to make things better that we actually choose the wrong solutions to do so so in the book you um you almost look at it in two ways i think one part is about changing society where you look at crime health poverty and democratic disagreement and you step back even further um to look at changing the world and there you address climate change and global poverty um so to go back to the society example um first I thought democratic disagreement might be an interesting one to focus on here, given everything that's been happening in Parliament, between the Conservatives and Labour Party. It would be really interesting if you could talk about that dynamic and how this idea of democratic disagreement relates to what the happiness problem and all the concepts around it. Yeah, absolutely. So I find democratic disagreement absolutely fascinating not just because of the current political climate but the fact that it almost seems so obviously an example of of what i'm saying here so yeah. we have incredibly complex collective realities you know our, our social problems are extremely uh difficult and entrenched and the solutions aren't in any way obvious and what we do is we form these moral and political tribes where there is a extreme certainty that we are right, uh, no matter which tribe we're in, yeah. and an urgency that because we know the answers, um, we must do something about it immediately to to solve it, and uh, blame when anyone disagrees or when anything uh, 
gets in the way of that. And a failure to understand how anyone can disagree. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, That people must be morons or naive or selfish. Not have the right information. Yeah. Exactly. And so... I find moral psychology here um, really interesting because we have some some really good studies on the difference between liberals, conservatives, left and right wing sentimentalities here okay. um, that they really do show that the the different values that um, people on the left or the right hold have very different social functions. So um, throughout history, we know from uh, the World Values Dataset that the values of societies and groups change depending on socio-economic circumstances so okay. the, the, the things that people care about and the solutions that they come up with are very much focused on their particular demands of their situation yeah um very crudely to put it um people on with a conservative sensibility um have uh, values that respond to demands of scarcity and and the need to be dependent on a group Um, and people with a more liberal sensibility have values that uh, respond to conditions of more opportunity and not having to be so dependent on a group, being more of an independent, autonomous individual. Okay. So it's no surprise that uh, in these political debates, people on the left care much more about individual human rights, self-expression, autonomy, and so forth, and people on the right care more about social conformity, tradition, that maintaining uh, loyalty, the status quo. maintaining the status quo. And okay. in almost every social issue, uh, there's going to be reasons for the status quo and why that works and reasons why we need to change it as well. So the idea of kind of simplifying it all to the status quo is evil or change is going to be catastrophic is mm. just crazy. Um, but we don't tend to think about this in our in our nice tribes. We tend to just think that our policies are correct and yep. the other ones are wrong. So is it that oversimplifying that links it back to the happiness problem? Yeah, it's again, it's this, here are my policies. If we adopt these policies, we'd all be better off. It's very similar to, these yes. are the things I need to do in my life. And if we adopt, if I achieve those things, then I'll be happy. Yep. Um, it's It's the same dynamic of certainty. Uh, and control but just on a collective level so in the book you talk about again we'll talk about this slightly later but you talk about applying curiosity and compassion and that's what we don't do in these situations we don't make any attempt really to understand the other side's point of view or where they're coming from because we're so embedded in the things we believe in and what we think we need to achieve that's right and moving bigger picture the theory can also be applied to climate change um, which is quite hard it's so huge it's quite hard to get your head around um, so if you could talk us through that that would be really interesting yeah it's it's, it's so huge um, and I mean you can almost look at the entire history of human civilization as a uh, process in which we have slowly gained more and more control uh, over the natural environment. So we have uh, increased our means of um, extracting energy from the natural environment and imposing more order upon it, and that's just kind of continued to spiral. Mm. Um, and when you can control something to that extent, we, we start to view 
the natural environment as as objects that we we can manipulate Commodity. for our own means yeah, yeah. Uh, ad infinitum what's happened with climate change is it seems like we've really run up against the limit of that a lot right. of people would uh, resist that conclusion but yeah. it certainly seems to be the case mm. that uh, we cannot control the natural uh, ecosystems of the world to the extent that we uh, think we could or the extent to which we have done previously in history yeah now there are two kind of responses to this the first is okay faced with runaway climate change maybe we need to control and manipulate the earth's climate even better uh because uh this is a huge problem and we need to solve it and we need to do so extremely quickly um so let's do everything we can to diagnose the problem maybe that's carbon dioxide and find a solution maybe that's sucking it out of the atmosphere or whatever but that's still um, trying to control. It's still trying to control it. And and so the, the key thing I think I'm trying to say is control can help. Like it, we can make some improvements uh, yeah. through trying to control our own individual lives or our collective or global lives. But um, it ultimately uh, has to ignore a vast array of other potential solutions um, and can and through ignoring them can can make things worse. So the other potential response we could have to climate change is, okay, we've reached the limits of the uh, potential to control the environment. Um, if control is the problem, maybe we need to, to kind of reverse what's happened. So um, instead of trying to control ecosystems, perhaps the ones that we have left the rainforests, the uh, deep seas, the uh, peat bogs and so on, conserve them as much as possible. Um, and uh, ecosystems that we have largely destroyed, well, perhaps we can put as much effort into restoring them and creating a kind of uh, natural resilience that a lot of people think uh, will help the situation. And that's a solution that, again, it comes about through understanding it comes about through uh admittedly temporarily being passive and really trying to figure out what the main drivers of the yeah. climate are um and then with that more in-depth knowledge acting to um try and solve the problem which again going back to the original concept of happiness and things that it is accepting that we're vulnerable and accepting that we can't control stepping back and thinking about alternative ways of trying to address the problem. Absolutely. It, yeah, it, it's it facing sense. up to this very facing, awkward fact. It's facing which up is to reality rather than fighting reality, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. 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 I was going to ask you the question, what's the secret to happiness? <laughs> but I think the answer to that is accepting that we're probably never really going to be fully happy. So instead I'm going to ask... What three things would you recommend we can do as individuals to allow us to see the world in this different way? Yeah, I'm really glad you didn't ask me the secret to having this question. Um, because I, well, I would probably have, now, have, have uh, tried to, to bend it into exactly the same question you asked anyway. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> thanks for that. You saved me some time. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think the the strategy of control that we've been talking about, this this predominant way in which we think about both happiness and social progress, I think can actually be split quite nicely into three pillars. So it very much focuses on the idea that 
we are certain of what our problems are and, and how we can solve them. Uh, and the second pillar being that we need to do this urgently mm-hmm. um, because the problems are bad and the solutions are there. Uh, and then the third pillar being when when things go wrong, because they will, because things are complex, yep. um, we either blame ourselves or others or society at large um, for, for that happening. And so I think to, to really begin to see things differently, to try and control things less and to, to understand things more, we need to flip each of these pillars. Okay. So instead of a feeling of certainty as to what all our problems and solutions are, um, we need to be more humble. We need to understand yeah. that the list of things in our head may not be the complete picture or the solutions that our political tribe have may not um, make everyone better off. Um, that's just likely. Yeah. And instead of urgently trying to do something about all our problems to, as, as we were kind of talking about, to take a step back and to be a bit more curious, to explore a load of uh, potential solutions, to be a bit more open to possibilities. And then when things go wrong, because they still will, because things always go wrong, because things are complex, um, instead of blaming ourselves or others to, like you said earlier, to have compassion, um, to use uh, failures and mistakes as an opportunity to, again, uh, form a greater understanding of who we are and what situation we're in and what we can do about it. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sam. Um, Sam's book, The Happiness Problem, Expecting Better in an Uncertain World, uh, is available on our website. The URL is policy.bristoluniversitypress.co.uk.